0: everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Have a great conversation for you today. If you have had a hard time the past year, if you ever struggle with depression, or really doubt yourself, or mute your voice, or really don't know how to deal with a lot of the trauma that you've had in your life, you are going to fall in love with my guest today, Andrea Owen. I've known her for many years. I can't remember how we met, but it's been awesome to watch her journey and see all her amazing books come out. She's a speaker, life coach, author, and self-proclaimed hellraiser, Andrea Owen is creating a global impact in women's empowerment with her books being translated into 18 languages and available in 22 countries. She helps high achieving women and men maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. Her latest book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength is coming in August, 2021. You can pre-order it now. And there's a giveaway that she talks about in our podcast interview. You can learn more about Andrea at AndreaOwen.com. Dot com. Before we dive in, I want to thank my sponsor for the week. You've heard me talk about Organifi before. I just love their products so much. I just know I'm getting organic, yummy, great nutrition. One of my favorites is their green juice. I pour it in some water, or I take the little individual packs on trips with me. And I know I'm getting all kinds of greens and nutrients and things that you know are hard to get when you're on the road or just hard to get when you have a busy lifestyle. And it just tastes so good. One of my favorite things as well, especially because I'm having a little back pain lately, is their turmeric gold. I make it hot with some coconut milk and some water, and it tastes delicious. It's my afternoon treat when I'm craving something sweet, but I want it to be healthy as well. And there's so many more incredible products you can get from Organifi. And every time you shop, when you use my code, you get 20% off. So go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash over it, and use over it in the promo code, and you get 20% off your entire order. Enjoy. Enjoy. Andrea, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here.
1: I am so glad to be back.
0: Well, and we, have, we haven't we have caught up in a while because we know each other outside of the podcast right. world. We actually have had meals together and are actual real friends in life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I know when COVID hit, your life, for lack of a better phrase, took a turn. It was, Uh as I would say, an expectation hangover. And I think a lot of people can relate to it. So I'd love to start our conversation there. What happened when COVID happened?
1: Yeah. And I'll catch you up on all the details. (laughs) You're (laughs) going to hear it with, with everyone else. So I, like many, was completely taken by surprise. I don't think really any of us were prepared for March, 2020. And to back up a little bit, 2019 was my best year ever Mm. in terms of my career and just my personal life. Like everything was smooth sailing and my husband and I had made the decision for him to leave his job. He's been working full time since he was 18 years old. So it was quite a transition for him and, you know, big conversations between the two of us, more or less switching gender roles and things like that. But we, went in eyes wide open, had been planning it for six months. So he gave his notice at his job February 29th, 2020. <laughs> and his last day was March 13th. And so that was the day pretty much that whole week they were starting to cancel schools. We have two school age children and it was a shit show. I mean, I was panicked, Christine. Like Mm. I texted him that day. It was a Friday. And I said, can you stay? Because we were going to lose our insurance and we knew Mm. we were going to have to have private insurance. And that is not cheap in the United Mm -mm. States for four people. Or very good,
0: honestly. So
1: I was completely panicked, like suddenly becoming the sole breadwinner, which I had never been before in my life. And also canceling speaking events across the board. They even stopped shipping books for a short time. I don't know if you remember that. And as an author, I mean, this is how I make money. And I was like, holy crap, Mm. we are going to be just in for it. So what ended up happening, you know, there's normal nervousness and anxiety that people have. And as someone who was diagnosed with anxiety disorder in 2003, I've been largely able to manage it and been very proud of myself for that. I haven't been on medication for a long time. And what I noticed happened is that the thoughts started running away from me. Again, I was using all of the tools that I have in my toolbox and nothing was working. I was doom Googling. I was Googling worst case scenarios and just, it it was scary. Quite honestly, I was, I was scared for my mental health. And for me, I also, because as a mother, I become afraid to tell anyone because I'm af- I have this fear that my children are going to be taken away from me. And that's drastic, yeah. right? That's not logical. <laughs>
0: you know? Well, but I think but when when we're happens. talking about emotions and fears and whatever it's triggering inside, logical is not possible because we're in a completely no. different part of our brain. And what's so hard. And thank you for sharing. And I know we're kind of at the beginning of the story, but I just so want to thank you for your honesty and vulnerability because I think so many of us can watch ourselves go into these. I'm amazing at worst case scenarios. I go from Mm -hmm. toothache to brain tumor. I'm dying in less than 0.01 seconds. And you can, at least from my experience, when we're in that, there's a part of us that's in it. And then there's a part of us that's aware we're in it. And that's adds Mm -hmm. to the anxiety. There's the anxious part. And then there's the anxiety about
1: the anxiety. Did you notice that? Totally. Mm. Because, and also as a helping professional, there's that voice that comes in too. You know, my inner critic says, Here you are, you know, this three time author, you do this for a living, you get up on stages and talk to people about how to manage their mind, and you can't even man- manage your mm. own. And I know that I'm in trouble if I'm thinking that.
0: Mm-hmm. I know.
1: So again, like I kind of stand outside of myself. And the wise part of myself is like winking at me like, okay, this isn't, this isn't good. You you need, you need to reach out for help. And I know this logically, but then again, comes in the fear of you can't, people are going to think you're crazy. And and that's the true clinical anxiety where our thoughts just completely, we have no control over them. And so I, I was sitting at my desk. This was maybe just a few days in and also starting to compare myself to other experts who, you know, and these, some of these were my colleagues who seem to be showing up so well online and in their communities. And, you know, I had people saying like, Oh, did you hear how so-and-so she's doing these zoom calls with her entire community every day? And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even, I can't even take care of myself. I can't imagine getting on a call with hundreds mm-hmm. of people and, and holding space for them. So sitting at my desk and probably Googling worst case scenario again, and, and, literally thinking that I was going to lose my house, lose all of my retirement, lose everything that we owned, be destitute. And like, do you remember those pictures that we saw in textbooks from the great depression where there was like mothers in rags and their child's faces. That's what I thought. I was convinced that that was going to be us. Mm. It didn't make Mm. any sense, but I was convinced that, that, and I'm like, is this mass extinction? Like what's happening? And then I I was sitting at my desk and I thought to myself, well, I could always kill myself and that scared the holy bejesus out of me. And it felt like this thought that kind of just swooped in like a condor, just quiet and casual. And I thought my next thought was, this is how it starts.
0: Mm. This
1: is how it starts for people. And I got really scared at that moment. So I did end up calling my best friend. I FaceTimed her and she knew that you know, if FaceTime comes up and it's not a text message, you best answer the FaceTime. Mm. And I, I sat in the corner of my office crying and it was like Blair Witch Project type of thing, you know, like just Mm. snot and everything. And she listened and fast forward, I ended up being okay. Found a new therapist, ended up going on an antidepressant, which helped tremendously. And, you know, here I am over a year later, but it was rough there for, for a couple of months. It was really Mm. rough. I th- thank you again
0: for sharing that because I think everyone can relate to this, whether it was triggered by COVID or something else, those periods in our life where, I mean, you didn't say this, but I can imagine you you not only feel like you're losing everything, you kind of feel like you're losing your mind. And that can exactly. be a terrifying thing. And I'm wondering as you looked into this, because one thing I noticed is that COVID, it really triggered inner child stuff and past stuff that you know mm-hmm. was still there. Were you able to connect anything, you know, this fear of losing everything, the pressure, the especially like ending up poor and on the street and homeless and all those kinds of things to childhood fears and things that happened? Or was it just this massive, just anxiety got a hold of you and it wasn't really connected to anything?
1: I think it was a little bit of both. I I honestly think that some, the most of it was just how my brain works and I am just predisposed to have those times, of uh, those types of mental challenges mm-hmm. come my way and I've accepted mm-hmm. it. And I, I love that about me. And I have, a, I have tons of compassion for myself, mm. which has come with years of therapy and, and really working on it. Uh, and I don't know, that's a really great question. I don't know how related it was, but in finding this particular, therapist. And I'd been thinking about hiring specifically a trauma therapist for stuff that happened to me in particularly two relationships about 15 years ago that were back-to-back relationships. And through this trauma therapy, I went through with her, there was some family of origin stuff, which she probably suspected we'd be talking about it. I did not like, Oh, <laughs> we're just going to talk about these relationships I had with men. And of course it went back to that, but my gosh, I, th- I feel like the vast majority of the struggles we have as adults are are intimately connected with our childhood. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They really are. It's just the wiring. It's the wiring Mm -hmm. that happens in childhood. And so much of our adult life is based on that. You know, I went to, I'm doing some brain and breath training right now because one thing I realized about me is I'm a really bad breather. I breathe in Uh a way that, that keeps my nervous system revved up. Like most people take between four to six breaths per hour. I take 10 to 12. That's how fast I'm breathing. So my body is like my my body is telling my brain, well, my breath is basically telling my brain I'm always in danger. And so one of the reasons, like I don't really have a lot of I actually thrived in COVID because I like am a hermit. (laughs) So I loved (laughs) being like home and I wasn't on a plane and it was, you know, I definitely had my moments of anxiety would creep in and things like that. But I've I've had my dark nights of the soul and other periods. I think it hits us at different mm-hmm. times when I considered things that you were considering. Um, but anyway, I back to the breath, it's like these things become so habitual. So even if I'm not anxious about anything, my habitual breathing will think that I am. And that comes from childhood trauma of like breathing faster because whenever we're nervous, whenever we're scared, or if we hold our breath for a long time, then we breathe faster, faster afterwards. So I think what is so hard sometimes about being an adult and having all the tools, especially you as a leader in the personal development industry, because I know I can definitely go down the, you should know better track until I catch Uh myself. It can be really hard when we have all these tools, but we're fighting against biology, brain chemistry, wiring and just habitual body responses. So we got to have, like you said, so much compassion for ourselves because even though we may quote unquote know better, sometimes it takes a while for the body to catch up. And I'm just curious with the trauma therapy, because we say that and some listeners may not know what that means. Could you elaborate on what that looked like for you?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, I've been on and off in therapy since I was 17 or 18 years old and talk therapy is fantastic. I think everyone should probably start there if they're new to therapy, but it can only take you so far. And, you know, like you were just saying, it's, it's, you you can't think your way through healing, and boy, did I want to, like, I just wanted to talk and think <laughs> It's so much easier. It is. I felt like it was so much easier. So trauma therapy was about some somatic healing mm-hmm. was really slowing down. Cause I'm very similar to you, Christine, where I am, I, I run anxious. I am like, I, you know, what's that video game? Is it, I don't know. It was from like our era where it was like fight and like, <laughs> that's what I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> the voice in my head is like constantly, I'm like, ready, I'm ready, ready for anything. But yeah. uh, I, I had to get into, you know, there was some, some breathing exercises. There was, I'm sorry if you can hear my dog barking. Oh, that's okay. Dogs totally are welcome room. on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our neighbors here. Um, it was breathing exercises. It was visualizations. It was, again, it, just slowing down. And I wanted someone with a lot of experience who was you know, very much trained in the spiritual realm as well as traditional therapeutic modalities. And I was very careful about who I picked and asked around. And you know what, you know what I ended up asking? I asked another therapist who does not specialize in in what I wanted to do. And I said, who is the therapist's therapist? Mm. That's what I need. I need somebody, tons of experience, who is, is also good at spotting BS mm-hmm. and very patient. So anyway, I ended up getting hooked up with this woman who had 40 years experience certified in all these things that I had never heard of, but I trusted it. I'm like, okay, I trust it. And, and, it, you know, she used something called, I think it was called AIT advanced integrative therapy. Um, there was some IS, IFS in there, internal mm, family system. Mm-hmm. So I do too. And it's just, it was so great to be able to obviously tell her about my history, have her ask me questions about things that she saw sort of in between the lines as a good therapist will do. And, and then we would pause and do these different like somatic integrations. And the physical experience that I had was something I had never had before. So my whole body would tremble, like as if I was freezing cold, I would imagine like, um, like a bouncy ball bouncing all around. And I imagine that was the energy that was sort of like bouncing around through my body. And after I would have sessions with her, I was exhausted, so tired. Many times I had to clear my schedule which I learned, like just don't schedule anything after I have a session with her and get in bed with my dog and a blanket and just lay there and take care of myself. I had never had a therapist that did that to me, (laughs) that wiped me out so much. And, and also I had to be ready. I had to be ready for that kind of work because I wasn't before I truly wasn't. And I, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but I felt like what had happened to me, the trauma that I had experienced had become part of my identity. Mm. I was so attached to this story of pain, of abuse, that I didn't know who I was without it. And I desperately wanted to get to that place where I could say, yes, Ms. Therapist, I am ready to get past this. But I had to be honest with myself and say, like, I don't know if I'm ready to cut this cord. I don't know if I'm ready to let go and grieve this, this narrative that I've been carrying around for a decade and a half. So when COVID happened and I, I had that, what we used to be called a nervous breakdown, a legitimate nervous breakdown, that's when I finally got to the place of like, okay, I'm ready. I'm done. Mm. I'm ready mm. to be done with this. Mm. And I, I can't explain it any other way than it was my intuition that said, it's time to come home. Like it's yeah. it's time to do this kind of work.
0: Yeah. I really want to emphasize I had to be ready. That is mm-hmm. so key. That is so key because especially with trauma and especially with doing somatic therapy. And the best way that I can describe somatic therapy is it's it's neck down. <laughs> You're really involving yeah. the body because the body holds the memory of so much of our trauma. You know, even if you just got really scared once, your body holds the memories of your shoulders coming up and tensing mm-hmm. down and and it is I think starting with talk therapy is actually a great way to start because you get more comfortable with your story and you have some rapport and you start to understand vulnerability. But you're right, that somatic trauma therapy, especially with someone who's experienced, it is like a huge emotional detox. And just like when we do a physical detox, if somebody does a juice cleanse, they expect to feel kind of crappy for a little while as all the toxins are coming out. And yeah, I mean, after that kind of emotional release, you do want to curl up in bed with a dog because you Uh are just, you're, you're wiped because not only is your body finally like feeling things that maybe we, we keep inside, but also it takes, it takes a lot of courage to do that. So that is, that's work for the serious light workers. So Acknowledgement, (sighs) my friend, because that's it was PhD level. I'll tell you what.
1: That and like setting boundaries with your immediate family, that is like master's PhD level work. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We're gonna have, I'm gonna have an episode next week, a coaching episode where I'm basically having a conversation with a woman to cut ties with her mother. Like like no relationship. And it's so hard. So that would be, that was, that's a great segue in terms of, you know, what did you find
1: helpful in really being able to set boundaries with family members? You know, I, I want to say first and foremost that boundaries with family members has been the absolute hardest thing that I have done in terms of most personal development work and specifically around boundaries. I would much rather set a boundary with my neighbor or (laughs) my kid's teacher at school, like people that I'm not as emotionally attached to. And I think also society tells us that we are bad daughters or bad sisters or bad family members. If we set a hard and fast boundary Mm -hmm. with a, with a family member, you know, like the example that you gave of, of the client coming on, I think what's been helpful is, is a few things learning first and foremost, how to have the conversation. They do not teach us this in schools. We typically don't have it modeled for us growing up in our family of origin of how to have healthy conversations. I hear all the time, but I don't like confrontation. And my response always is no one does. And right. if you do, you're kind of an asshole. Like right. you shouldn't <laughs> want to hang out with that person. right it's It's a hard conversation. can we Can we start calling it what it is? And that's a hard conversation, not conflict. So reframing was helpful. And also preparing. So writing out, you know, worst possible outcomes, like reactions from them. and how do I want to handle that? And just deciding like, how do I want to show up in this conversation? Usually it's with courage and clarity and kindness. Like those three things are how I want to show up. My best friend, Amy Smith is a communications expert. Everything I've learned is from her. And, and, you know, she taught me kind of this process, figuring out how you want to show up. And, uh, talking about, you know, all, any therapist will tell you, use I statements about your right. experience. Don't blame and point fingers and be very clear about what your request is. And sometimes we're just telling someone how we feel. Sometimes it's more of a boundary about what our request is being very clear about it. Don't be vague. Don't let them fill in the blanks or have a ton of questions, be very clear and then talk about what the consequence is. and, I always also, just as a PS, I try to add compassion in there. And mm. because at the end of the day, especially if it's, if I'm setting this boundary with someone I deeply care about and love, I, I still love them. And, and I, I want to have the relationship, hopefully, you know, unless you're completely cutting them out, be better. And sometimes we need to love people from afar Yeah, and I, you know, I've had to do that with family members, and it's it's excruciating. I'm not going to lie. It's excruciating. I find it easier just to hold out hope that they will change. Um, but sometimes I'm continuously disappointed when that right. doesn't happen.. Right. So there's grief in that as well. I know I'm like throwing a ton of stuff out there, but there's there's a lot of things to think about when you're making this big decision,
0: yeah, there is. And the first and foremost thing we have to think about is what's going to what really, what really is the authentic, loving choice for us? Because I think when we're navigating boundaries, especially among family members, we're trying to satisfy our own needs while at the also time, while at the same time, not hurting them and not making them upset. And those two things aren't always possible. Can't. You right. just, you just, you just really can't. But we're so just wired. I think, especially as women and men too. Yeah, I know many men that listen, but especially as women mm-hmm. to just not be okay with people not being okay. And that's one of my biggest lessons in life with people I love is like, I've got to be okay when they're not okay. Because one of the reasons I breathe (laughs) so fast is because my coping strategy for many years in my life was to internalize. Mm -hmm. I I would, you know, other people, like my husband, when he gets upset, you know it, he yells, he'll he'll fight, he'll do whatever. It's like, (laughs) But he doesn't, his, his nervous system is smooth as like a lake. It's just placid Uh because he just gets it out. He does not hold things in. If, if he's pissed off at you or you cross the line, he will let you know. Whereas I'm like, I'm fine, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's been my lesson and avoiding quote unquote confrontation. I've really reframed that to clarification. That's really what I'm Uh going for. And that was one of the words you used. So I love that. Yeah. So you have a new book coming out, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength, which is perfect for what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. What really – did
1: you write this book while all this was going on in your life? I did. Wow. So I was – not when like it was really bad, (laughs) luckily. (laughs) I I did take some time off and – you know, it's amazing how productive we can be when we have a deadline. And yeah, um, yeah and I just, it, that book really came, was years in the making. It, it was years in the making. I was I was writing it in my head for a really long time. And the long and short of it is that I, I felt like as a woman's empowerment expert, I could not write about women's empowerment again, without pointing out the elephant in the room. And that is the culture that raised us. And and you pointed to that briefly just a minute ago with how we're conditioned and socialized to be, you know, to not take up space, to not engage in conflict, to, to always be polite and selfless and accommodating. And, and that's really the the gist of the book. And, you know, how do we Unlearn all of this conditioning that we've been taught for decades and decades. And it's yeah. a great, I know you have a mixed audience. It's a great book for men and non-binary folks too to get insight in what it what it's like to to live the world as a woman and yeah, yeah all that good yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of things I want to ask you about because um you just have a you've had a very colored life in so many ways. You've lived <laughs> a lot of lives in one life. So you talk about being in Tijuana on a drug deal and having Mm -hmm. a spiritual experience. And usually I don't link drug deals in Tijuana with spiritual experiences. So no, (laughs) usually not,
1: usually not. So maybe you can explain that one. So I was in a relationship with someone, Well, let me back up. So you get a little bit more context, context. So you already know this, Christine, but I was, I was married before and my ex-husband and I were planning on conceiving our first child. And he had an affair with our neighbor who lived across the street, had a seven month long secret affair with her and was living a double life because he was lying to her as well. And as when I found everything out, it just exploded. She was pregnant and my husband and I divorced and I immediately got into a relationship with someone whom I thought was great. And he was handsome and funny and all of the things. And he unfortunately had terminal cancer. So as the relationship went on for a few months and we were going down to Tijuana, Mexico to get his cancer medication. And I was starting to get suspicious as the months went on that he was addicted to painkillers. There were some red flags and I was ignoring a lot of them. And there was also a lot of emotional manipulation going on. and, And he was also sick with cancer. And so I was, as the, as the codependent does, (laughs) as I was, I was taking care of him emotionally, financially, and even physically. And so I got more and more suspicious and we were down there at night, which legitimate pharmacies down in Tijuana, there's this sort of like row of where a lot of tourists go down there and there's all these pharmacies and you can get pretty much any medication that, that you want. And it was late at night. He was really sick and we needed to go down there to get his cancer medication. And it was like Mm. 10 o'clock at night. The pharmacies are closed and we're walking down this back alley and he sees these two men and he says, wait right here. And he walks over to them and I could still hear them. And he asked them, Hey, do you guys know where I can get any Oxy referring to Oxycontin, the painkiller? So my fears were revealed that yes, he was actually um, addicted to painkillers and the men point down the street. And so we started walking and then he, there's a cab and he he opens the back door to the cab and motions for me to get in. And everything in my body was screaming, don't get in, just, just just go back, just walk very quickly Mm. down to the border, walk over the border and go home back, back home to San Diego. And I said, I don't want to get in the car. Mm. And he took, he took my face in his hands and he lifted my face up to his and he said, I would never do anything to jeopardize your safety. Mm -hmm. And I knew at that moment that he was bullshitting me. Mm. I knew that everything was a lie and that this man was on drugs, that I was paying for it, that I had been paying for it for months thinking that he was really sick. Mm. And we got in the car and we drove to, I don't know where, in Tijuana, Mexico, near the middle of the night and ended up going to this house. And I, of course, you know, handed him a a stack of twenties and, and it ended up ending a few months later. I mean, you would think that I would have gotten home and immediately broken up with him, but I did not. I I wanted it to work out. And then I found out later that he had lied about having cancer to cover up said drug addiction. It just, but that moment, I will never forget, you know, standing there outside of the, the cab and thinking like, how did I get here? Not just like in this moment in a foreign country, which is often very dangerous, how did I get to this moment in this relationship where I'm putting up with this with crumbs, with mm. emotional manipulation, with the lying and the conning? And like, <sighs> I was 31 at the time and was just so desperate for love and attention and affection and so traumatized from my former relationship that. This is how I ended up there. I have so much compassion for that woman now, 15 years later, and have come a long way. But yeah, that was my spiritual experience. Wow. In the dark. Mm -hmm. Wow.
0: Wow. How did you, because I know a lot of people, again, especially women, have an experience like that and find it really hard to either trust men again,
1: trust themselves Uh again, or both. How did you work through the trust issues with that? That's a great question. And for a long time, I did not, I even got remarried and didn't fully trust my husband and didn't realize it until we were already married. And And he knows this, like he, he would not in agreement if you were in the room right now. <laughs> so my short answer is a lot of therapy. And more recently over the last couple of years, cause I revisit my values every few years and made, I made one of my values trust both trust in, in myself and trust in other people. Cause it wasn't just men. It was in my friendships with women as well. And I know that you've experienced painful female relationships as well. And, and, and we have to, to learn. And, and it, it came down to quite honestly, Christine, like that trauma therapy is what helped me break down and realize a core fear that I had that I uncovered in therapy that came with a lot of tears was not so much that I felt unworthy because, you know, I speak on worthiness all the time and I always felt like that's not it for me. Like Mm. I, I, I know consciously and unconsciously that I'm a worthy human being. My fear was that people didn't really give a shit about me, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even if they said that they did that deep down, eh, not so much. And it's, it's sort of along the same lines as worthiness, but it felt different. I feel the difference. I feel the difference. And that's what mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. And it was because that's, that had been my past. It happened when I was 13 with my dad. It happened when in my first marriage, it happened in the relationship with the other guy. So my brain and my body said, people don't really care about you. They don't, they might say that they will, but they're using you they're manipulating you. Don't trust anyone.
0: When that comes up, if it comes up anymore, even subtly, how do you
1: work with it? That's a great question. I have become very attuned to if I am being manipulated and I have not been wrong yet. (laughs) I hate to say it, but it still happens. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it happens with my wonderful teenager and tween child. (laughs) Um, And in one of my friendships with women in the past few years, I had a feeling it was happening. And as Mm. it turned out, I was right. So I listened to my Mm. intuition and know the difference between that and fear. And that's a common question I know in these circles. And my short answer for that, for anyone who's thinking it is, for me, the fear is kind of like you described with your breathing. It's um, on loop and Mm -hmm. it feels charged. With my intuition, it's much quieter and it just sort of like slips in the back door and like sits in the back and is like, I'm just going to be over here. (laughs) Don't mind me. Just talk amongst yourselves. That's how my intuition feels. My fear like busts the door down and just starts screaming. So you have to figure out what that looks like for you in your life and, and noticing the difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, That's I'm the, curious how you do that. The same way, the same way. Like even with my breathing, now that I'm aware of it, I notice it and I can shift it. It's just so habitual, so habitual. Right. But with fear and intuition, Again, like my, my, well, what I do is great training for my intuition because when I'm coaching people, I'm using my tools and trainings, but primarily I'm using my intuition and things will come through Uh and I just know things. So it's been a really good, um, gym for my intuition. I'm blessed that my job's given me a lot of practice, The only unfortunate thing is I'm way better for other people than I am for myself, (laughs) like way better. I have found that too. Yes. (laughs) I can just slip right into that intuition and compassion, but that it has been a good reference point. So very similar. It feels just like a direct knowing. I have that um, clairsentience, Mm claircognizant kind of intuition Mm -hmm. of just, I feel it or I know it. Whereas that fear, I can feel it in my body and somatics has been really helpful for me because when... You know, somatic therapy has taught me to become more aware of my body and listen to my body's cues. And when I'm in intuition, my body is at peace. There's no rapid breathing. There's no rapid heart rate. There's no tension in my chest or my belly. My shoulders are more relaxed. My jaw isn't clenched. Like these are all cues to me that are subtle. Like no mm-hmm. one from the outside could tell I'm breathing faster or my jaw's clenched. But I've had an, have enough body awareness to to learn these things. So that's one of the things. Um, but you know, there's times when I can't tell, truly I can't tell. And it's just one of those things where that's where I go out to my team, Christine, the people that support me and, Uh and get support that way. Yeah.
1: I I have the same experience. And sometimes then I just pick, I I just make a decision and then I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to learn a lesson on the other side. Yeah. And it's just that confidence of knowing that I'm resilient enough to be okay, no matter what happens. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We're going to talk a little bit more about the book
0: in a second. And we also have a way for people to get a free copy, which is very cool. Yay. But just circling back. So we started in March, 2020. We're now in mm-hmm. July, 2021. You've had a big journey. How would you say you are now? And what have you learned?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I think so many things, but the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was to really lean on the people that you trust and that are there to help you. I still think this can be so hard even now in 2021. And I know that your people are avid personal development learners Mm -hmm. and might still have have fears of asking for help. And I I just want to validate that and acknowledge that it's, it's very real. You know, again, our conditioning tells us that, you know, we're there to help other people, not so much ask for help ourselves. We were likely raised by boomers who definitely, they didn't ask for help. And so it was probably modeled for us. And, and also as I was relaying in my story in the beginning of our conversation that my, my mind was telling me that it was not safe for me to tell everyone, anyone, because there would be consequences. So again, acknowledging all of that. And at the same time, telling you to do it anyway. Yeah. (laughs) And just, just do your best to, to find the person. And if you don't have a person, perhaps it's a therapist or counselor and, and just being able to speak things out loud is it can be just enormously helpful to unburden yourself. The other thing that I've learned is that more specifically in my relationship and in, in my marriage is to ask exactly how I need him to show up for me. Mm. My former self, you know, my 25 year old self would have never even I would not even fathom telling him how I wanted him to show up for me because I wanted him to just know how to do it. Like I wanted him, it felt, it would have felt so ingenuine if I would have spelled out, here's, here's what I need from you. Now the 46 year old me is like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I know that you're not a, a mind reader. Like here's the manual, here's the Andrea manual. And I'm going to tell you exactly what it is I need from you because the the alternative is for him to try his best and not show up how I need him to. And right. then I'm resentful and then I'm mad That's so incredibly unfair. It's so unfair. And as the years have gone by and we've had these conversations, now he knows. Or he and if he doesn't know, he just asks me. Yeah.
0: So much easier. Do you want
1: advice or do you need a hug? Like it's it's the most healthy and mature relationship I've ever been in, one that I thought I would never. And you know, you don't have to be in a relationship where there's drama and chaos and resentment Mm -hmm. and running around in circles over and over again, bumping up against the same issue. It is possible to have a love and commitment that, I'm gonna be really cliche here for a second, but is beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah, no, I
0: I feel you on that one. I really I know do. You do. <laughs> and you know, I know for me, the the testament to that has been doing my own work, having the courage to go yep. to those deep, dark, scary places. And you have too. It, it, when we go to those deep, dark, scary places willingly inside ourselves, like we actually go and say, "I'm gonna do somatic therapy. I'm gonna go on this retreat. I'm gonna go deep. I'm not gonna run for this." we don't need our relationships and outside worlds to continue to trigger us to try to get us to do the work. It's like when we right. just go, okay, I surrender. I'm going to do the work. Everything becomes so much easier. Speaking our needs becomes easier. We don't need as many triggering events. So that's why I'm such an advocate of like, I'll go into my like rock bottom willingly. Um, I, we had something happen earlier this year that just brought me to my knees. And I was like, I'm going to stay on my knees. I'm going to be in the dark. I'm not going to try to get better quickly. I'm Mm going to go through this because I know I will be so much better on the other side rather than just like dipping a toe in the water and hoping it gets better with time. That time heals all wounds. No, Mm -hmm. no, No, it does not. It does not. Mm -hmm. Well, you told us a little bit about your book. Tell us who it's for. So people know listening. They're like, oh my gosh, that's me. I need that book.
1: Who is this book really for? Yeah. It's mostly for for women. I think women are going to resonate with it the most. And I, I definitely had them in mind when I, when I wrote it and it's for anyone who, I mean, if you resonated with my voice and the way that I talk and the stories that I tell, then you would like it. I write a lot. Um, how, I, I write a lot how I talk with some really professional editors <laughs> there as well, <laughs> but it's for anyone who struggles to take up space and struggles with outshining others, and also is interested in in social issues. I mean, really, what I'm talking about in the book is as I'm talking about the culture we live in, and that is patriarchy. And, and patriarchy hurts everyone. It is not at all a feminist theory book, and I'm not blaming right. anyone. I just want people to be aware of the conditioning and socialization there's one question that I ask in the book over and over again, and that's what is my conditioning versus what is my truth? And if nice. you leave with nothing else from the book, like I want you to leave with that. And that's what I ask over 250 questions in the book. And I want people to learn how to coach themselves and get curious and have lots of self-compassion. And yeah. And and it, I also love the way it's laid out. I love a good pattern in a self-help book. I mean, yes. who does it? I know your books are written this way too. It's just easy for the reader to go through and have key takeaways and actionable, practical things to do instead of just read about. Yes.
0: So true. So true. And I know we talked a lot about a lot of personal stuff in this interview, which I so appreciate because it makes you so relatable, but you guys heard in the bio, what a kick-ass person (laughs) Andrea is, which is also part of her brand. Um, So she's just got it covered on the professional front. And as you can see, it's walking the talk. And those are the people that I really, really respect because I know the best content comes from people who are living it, who are not just Mm -hmm. talking about it, who are in the trenches living it. And I love that you wrote this book during this time when you were going through all of this stuff. It makes it an even better book because it's just so relatable. So thank you. Thank you for having the courage to write it. So you want to tell people how they can get a free copy?
1: Yes. So what we're asking people to do is to share on Instagram how they're going to make some noise in their life. You know, whether you, you know, take a look at the table of contents from, you know, the Amazon description and you see something in there, or if it's something from this, this particular interview, this conversation and make sure you tag me on Instagram. I'm at Hey Andrea Owen and that's how you get entered to win. And we're going to give away a copy. It's going to be, the contest is going to be open for a week after this, uh, this episode airs. And then also at andreaowen.com slash noise, there's tons of bonuses there. There's awesome. a, a free workbook, you know, those 250 questions that I asked free book club, all kinds of great stuff over
0: there. Yeah. Could they even share? Cause we'll share this episode in my Instagram share, and maybe put a couple notes on like their takeaway and tag you there absolutely. That Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. That works. So, so guys, when this comes out, it'll be on my stories with Andrea's beautiful picture. You can tag her, share one big insight that you learned or one thing you want to thank her for sharing or acknowledge her for, and then you'll be entered to win a book, which is really super cool.
1: Awesome. I'm excited. It's so great to catch up with you so and everyone listening. I, I just want to say, I appreciate everyone's time. I know how precious it is. And I just, I so appreciate that people spend it with us.
0: Well, it was time well invested.
1: Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Bye, everyone.